thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Okay, live stream, I'm back with you. I'm disappointed because I was told that the mic I was using at the start is my Britney mic. I've never been aware that I had a Britney mic before, but it looks as though I've been relegated to something less, um, less trendy, maybe. So the problem we have in, in the 21st century is that this message was given to people in the 8th century. Now, the future to God's people in 8th century BC is not the same as for us. Since the time when Isaiah spoke God's message about what the future would bring, nearly 3,000 years of that future time has now passed. We, in the 21st century, are in the position of being able to look back at these future events Isaiah spoke about, or at least some of them. He prophesied, didn't he, about the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem and the exile of the people. From our historical standpoint, we know that this prophecy came true. It came to pass at the hand of the Babylonians in 589 BC and subsequent years. It was a hundred years or so after Isaiah's initial message. His listeners at that first time probably wouldn't have been around to witness it coming true, but we know it happened. Isaiah also prophesied about the coming Messiah, about Jesus coming. We've heard about this in previous weeks. He spoke about it in an amazingly specific way. Chapter 14, he says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. In chapter 53, he says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. There are over 100 such prophecies in the book of Isaiah that foretold events and details that Jesus himself fulfilled. From our historical standpoint, we know that these prophecies came to pass some 700 years after Isaiah's message. Isaiah's initial listeners certainly wouldn't have been around to witness this, but we know it happened. And then Isaiah also prophesied about events which still haven't come to pass, even from our historical standpoint. They are future events, not just to Isaiah's initial listeners, but also to us. And that's where we are with today's passage, the second part of Isaiah 65. God's words spoken by Isaiah in this passage that we're going to hear have not yet come to pass. With the benefit of our historical hindsight, we have the privilege of knowing that much of what Isaiah's initial listeners, much of which to Isaiah's initial listeners with future prophecies, have since become actual historical events. We know for certain that there are parts of Isaiah's message that came true, exactly as God said they would. And I believe that can give us 
great confidence, great faith to trust in and to wait for events which haven't yet happened to come to fruition, exactly as God says they will. And there's that idea that Johnny spoke about last week. We have to wait. Our passage is Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. I'm going to read that passage to you twice from different translations of the Bible. I've asked today that the words don't appear on the screen. And I'm inviting you instead to close your eyes and just listen to, just drink in the words that God put into Isaiah's mouth describing what is yet to come. The first version is from the NIV. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who doesn't live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruits. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree so it will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they're speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. That's version one. Same text, different version. Pay close attention now. I'm creating new heavens and a new earth. All the earlier troubles, chaos and pain are things of the past to be forgotten. Look ahead with joy. Anticipate what I'm creating. I'll create Jerusalem as sheer joy, create my people as pure delight. I'll take joy in Jerusalem, take delight in my people. No more sounds of weeping in the city, no cries of anguish, no more babies dying in the cradle or old people who don't enjoy a full lifetime. One hundredth birthdays will be considered normal. Anything else, anything less will seem like a cheat. They'll build houses and move in. They'll plant fields and eat what they grow. No more building a house that some outsider takes over. No more planting fields that some enemy confiscates. For my people will be as long-lived as trees. My chosen ones will have satisfaction in their work. They won't work and have nothing come, come of it. They won't have children snatched out from under them. For they themselves are plantings blessed by God with their children and grandchildren likewise God blessed. Before they call out, I'll answer. Before they finish speaking, I'll have heard. Wolf and lamb will, will graze the same meadow. Lion and ox eat straw from the same trough. But snakes, they'll get a diet of dirt. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill anywhere on my holy mountain, says God. 
quite a vision. Future events that haven't happened yet, but which will happen because God says through Isaiah that they will. Isaiah is painting a magnificent picture to describe the joys of the world to come. You won't be surprised to learn that Christians differ over how to interpret this picture. I guess that Isaiah's initial listeners themselves interpreted in different ways the messages about the destruction of Jerusalem and the coming of the coming Messiah until the actual truth was revealed in God's good time. Does this picture in Isaiah 65 describe an actual restoration of the city of Jerusalem? Or maybe it describes the state that will exist after Jesus returns but before the final judgment. Or maybe it describes eternity itself. The truth is, I don't know. Learned biblical scholars have different opinions. Only God knows. Now I think it's really important to study the words of the Bible and the context in which they're written. It is God's word after all. But I do think we risk overthinking things sometimes. Jesus himself said, we need to change and become like children. Now I don't think a child listening to Isaiah's words would start to analyze which period of future history they might relate to. I think rather they'd enjoy, they'd wonder at, they'd be excited by, they'd look forward to this future perfection described by God. A God who has a pretty good track record in terms of accuracy of predictions. And that's the spirit in which we'll approach our passage today. The opening verses, I think, are the key ones. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. New heavens and a new earth. This is new in the sense of never been seen before by anybody. Not just new in the sense of it's different to the one you've already got. Can you remember the last time you saw something genuinely new? Something so different from anything you, or maybe even anyone else, has ever experienced. Can you imagine the jaw-dropping that took place when people saw the first electric light bulb come on? Or when people watched the first television pictures? Or maybe the first time they heard a gramophone record of some uh, classical orchestra? My best examples of such new moments, I'm afraid, both come from the sporting world and from some time ago. No doubt many of you have watched the Olympics recently. At the Games in Mexico City in 1968, under 50s, you weren't born then either, there was an American athlete called Dick Fosbury who introduced something never seen before in the high jump event. Until then, the various techniques of clearing the bar were designed to give the opportunity to the jumper to land on their feet in a sandpit. Fosbury introduced the technique used by all high jumpers today of going over the bar back first. I did think about demonstrating, but... Mm, it wasn't just a slight variation on what had gone before, it was jaw-droppingly different. Example number two. In the 1974 Football World Cup in Germany, 
the Dutch player, Johan Cruyff, standing with his ball, with the ball at his feet, with an Italian defender behind him, went past that defender in a move never seen before. A move now simply known as the Cruyff turn. Jaw-droppingly different, the like of which had never been seen before. Pretty poor examples, I accept. But at least a sense from my own experience of what we have in this verse. I create new heavens and a new earth. Not just a slight variation, but jaw-droppingly different. And so different is it, and so much better is it, that still in verse 17, the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. And God says more about his new creation. Verse 18 and 19. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. Notice the repetition of the words joy and rejoice and joyful. This is the essence of these new heavens and earth. A hugely positive, joyful creation. Which is still to come to pass. It was a future promise for Isaiah's initial listeners in the despair of their exile, transported to a foreign land, all they'd worked for destroyed or taken by others, people close to them killed or left behind. And it's a future promise for us in the 21st century today, whatever the positives or negatives of our current situations. And God, through Isaiah, then goes into some more of the detail of this brand new creation. Verse 19, no more weeping or cries of distress. Verse 20, no more premature deaths of children. No more dying before a good age. Verse 21, no more having one's home taken over by other people. Verse 22, no more having, one's, uh, having the fruit of one's labours commandeered by others. Verse 23 says the people will no longer labour in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. And then in verse 24, God shows just how active a part he will play himself in this creation, just how close he will be. Verse 24. Excuse me one moment. Yeah. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. And such will be their peace, the spirit of harmonious coexistence. That's in verse 25, the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. This would have been very powerful imagery to God's people in exile, uprooted from their homes, maybe their families as well. In this version, in Isaiah 65, in this vision, God is offering something completely new to these people. A people who, even before the exile, lived often in vulnerability and instability. These people, God says, will be blessed. They will be a joy. Their city will be a delight. 
the old world of oppression, uncertainty, insecurity was going to become not only a thing of the past, but a faint and distant memory. How uplifting, how full of hope in a hopeless situation. What about us? Try imagining a world today where vicious pandemics, where famine, where child abuse, where terrorism, where slavery, where environmental catastrophes, where men running amok with shotguns no longer exist to the extent where they're no longer even remembered. This is the world that God is bringing. One commentator I read in preparing for this described Isaiah as offering a vision of a world not simply turned around, but turned right side up. I couldn't help on reading of this vision of thinking back to the perfection of Eden in the early chapters of Genesis and the presence of God therein. A favourite scripture of mine from the New Testament is from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church where he prays to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's the same God who in Isaiah 65 is offering us a vision of a future with him, the future for God's people. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. For Isaiah's listeners, it was a future very different from the despair of their present. For us too, no matter how good or bad our present situation, God's future is vastly superior. We have the advantage over Isaiah's listeners in knowing for certain that parts of God's message through Isaiah came to pass, came to fruition, exactly as God said they would. We're in the same position as Isaiah's listeners, as God's people waiting for the coming to pass of this jaw-droppingly new creation, one which is so different and so much better than anything or anybody else has ever experienced. But we have the advantage over Isaiah's listeners that all the early stuff in this has come true already. This vision for today hasn't happened yet. For us too, therefore, it's still a matter of faith. We've heard many times in this building and, the, and in the previous one that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We don't yet see the perfection of God's new heavens and new earth, but with faith, we can be certain it will come to pass for God's people because God says it will. How marvellous, how wonderful. Now I've spoken on a number of occasions uh, of the Alter New course that a group of us, 30 or 40 of us, pre-pandemic, were working on, working our way through the 39 books of the Old Testament. And I'm still intending that this will restart in September maybe sometime, open to new people if interested. And for each of the books when we were going through them, we only got about eight weeks into the course, we had a memory verse. And there's one which will appear on the screen in a moment from the book of Numbers. And it's particularly pertinent to this idea today of God's word being 100% reliable. There are a number of you in this room today who were on that course 
And today's Bible verse, if I just prompt you, I think you might remember it. And the prompt is, not ringing any bells to anybody. Some people looking rather sheepish, and yeah, I knew this a while ago. Can we have it on the screen, please? God is not like men who lie. He's not a human who changes his mind. Whatever he promises, he does. He speaks, and it is done. No, don't clap. Just click. You can join in with me now, please. Do both. I, I would do both hands, but I'd have to drop my non. Uh, uh, what's she called, Mike? <clears throat> Okay, thank you. A bit louder, I can't hear you properly, that's it. Here we go. God is not like men who lie, he's not a human who changes his mind. Whatever he promises, he does, he speaks, and it is done. That's the God who never lies or changes his mind, who promises us this fantastic, jaw-droppingly good new heavens and earth. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this vision you gave to us through Isaiah. Lord God, give us the faith to wait for and to prepare expectantly for all you promise your wonderful new heavens and new earth. Amen.